this morning, the reading of God's word comes from Jonah. It's chapter 1, and it's verses 1 through 16. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So, after the cap- so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What's your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he'd already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. <clears throat> and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you've sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church, and we continue our sermon series today in 12 Prophets. And today's prophet is Jonah. Ever since uh, a quiet encouragement from last week's um, uh, dad joke that I made on the prophet, I was thinking about different ways to make a joke with Jonah's name. I could not, but I don't think I need to because Jonah is one of those really well-known, very beloved prophets that you all will know very well. Among all the minor prophets, perhaps I'll venture to guess, Jonah is most well-known of them all. You could tell the story of Jonah has all the elements of making up a great story and great plot. We have a prophet who disobeys, a prophet that disobeys, that does not make sense, right? We have a large fish and a great wonder and a revival of a great town, not to mention a strange twist of what happens to Jonah at the end. There's a lot here, a lot of fun elements. A lot of us probably watch VeggieTales version of this as well. There's a lot out there for Jonah to say. However, what not to be lost in the midst of all of this is God's relentless pursuit of the lost. God's relentless pursuit of the lost. 
one of the um, favorite books that my son loved to read when he was a younger child was a book titled Digger the Dinosaur. We also loved it too for different reasons. And here's a short excerpt of the book. It reads, Digger was a good dinosaur, but he was a busy dinosaur. Sometimes he forgot to listen. Digger, Mama Sore called, clean your room. Digger looked at Stego, a friend. Stego looked at Digger. Can't I play? Digger asked. No, said Mama Sore. Your room is a mess. She said, yes, asked Digger. She said, mess, said Stego. I can fix that, said Digger. I will help, said Stego. Let's go, said Digger. And they're cleaning the room. Put your coat on the hook, said Stego. So Digger did. Digger, said Stego, you put your coat on a book. You said book, said Digger. I said hook, said Stego. And on and on and on. Various rhythm, uh, rhymes about different words. He said hook, but said book. And Digger had a hard time listening. Not only Seth loved this book because of the fun rhymes it had, we loved it because we wanted him to learn to listen. Right? Get the story, all right? This is what it's all about. We want you to get it. Listen. Well, when you look at a quick glance of the first section of the book of Jonah, the storyline seems more like a grown-up version of the Digger the Dinosaur. Right? We have a prophet, a prophet, a spokesperson, a person who is supposed to receive the word of God and supposed to speak it, who says, no, thank you. Right? I'm not going to listen to what you said. You said, Nineveh, Tarshish, to I go. However, this book's main message is much more than just a runaway prophet, even the title of the message is Runaway Prophet, who needs to learn to listen better. This is a book that speaks about God's sovereignty and how he carries out his will despite human disobedience. If you ever wondered how God can carry out his will in your life despite our frequent failures or ours or other blatant disregard for God's will, this book is for you. This book is also talking about God's relentless mercy and grace, even for those most unlovable and undeserving, as we would say. If you ever felt like you do not deserve God's love for you or can't believe that God will love someone else, if you have a hard time loving someone else, then this prophet is for you. This book also continues to speak to the conflict the UNIC in Palestine and Israel today. Not only does God have something to say about that, but if you ever wonder if Bible is ever relevant, speaking to our current brokenness in our world, this prophet is for you. And yes, if you're like the digger the dinosaur, who not only struggles to listen, but often struggles to wonder if God can work through even broken people who fails to listen, this prophet is for you. So without further ado, let's delve into this prophet's story. We're going to spend three weeks in Jonah, and first time we're going to look at chapter 1 and how Jonah fails to listen. And first point we see is down and down Jonah runs. Down and down and Jonah runs. And as you read this story, you'll feel the progression of Jonah going down and down and down away from the Lord. You and I are Amazon generation now. We're now, especially during the pandemic, Whenever I saw the Amazon truck come along, it felt like Christmas. Now the nicely wrapped boxes of gifts is replaced with cardboard boxes. 
and you're excited, oh, those Amazon white and blue bag. You're wondering it's going to come. Nowadays, do you know you could order this morning and get it this afternoon? It's incredible how things change. But there are times when the package goes a different way especially when you want it the most. I remember this particular gift I got for my family, and I was hoping it would get here in time. Of course, I forgot about it, and I was hoping it would come. The shipment leaves Chicago, and you could track it, and you're hoping it will come to Charlotte, and now an hour later I find out it's headed to Oregon. And you're wondering, why Amazon, of all times, of all the most important times, I forgot this important occasion for my family. It's going the wrong way. Well, Jonah's story is God's package of grace to Nineveh going the wrong way. The story begins familiar to many of us with the vision, a call from the Lord that comes to the prophet. That's what we read in verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The message comes and is very clear. It says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. And as far as we have seen so far from the other prophets, we would think, yes, the prophet, even the shepherd, someone that was not a professional prophet, once you receive the word of God, you cannot help but to respond to the Lord. And that's what we're expecting this Jonah, the Amittai, a prophet, to listen. But he does not listen. Not only does he ignore the call as if like to say, I don't hear what God is saying, he blatantly disobeys it by turning around, headed opposite direction. Verse 3, but Jonah got up and went into the opposite direction to get away from the Lord, as if he can. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship ship living for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Nineveh was a great capital city of Assyria. Empire at the time is located on the east of Israel, where Jonah was ministering. It is near the present-day Mosul, Iraq. When Jonah headed to, is in this verse, it's Tarshish. And many commentators believe this is near Spain, the west of Israel, the farthest western point of the known world at the time. So basically, church, Jonah went in complete opposite direction as far as you could get away from the call of the Lord. Not only is disregarding God's command to go to Nineveh, he says, no, thank you, I'm going to go extreme opposite direction. Now, before we talk about anything, this is exactly what sin does, isn't it? Sin is defined not by its own rights. Sin has to be associated with something, and often sin is something associated against uh, God. Sin is what we do in direct opposition to God. That's why it's offensive. It's not merely, oops, I did this to the Lord. It is blatant disregard for God and blatant act of disobedience or going away from the Lord. There is no neutral ground when we come to sin and the Lord, even for a prophet. Now, some may wonder at this point, should we cut some slack for Jonah? After all, if you understood the geography as well as the political climate and the sheer magnitude of what God is asking Jonah to do, you and I may sympathize a little bit and say, well, that makes sense. I understand what is going on and why Jonah might not want to go to Nineveh. Because in order to go to Nineveh, they say, Jonah has to take a 500-mile journey through the desert. And it's not like he's got a first-class ticket flight to Nineveh. 
He has to travel on this desert road to get there. Not only a desert road, but a dangerous road to travel, especially when traveling alone, as we see Jonah is going by himself here. It is also said the walls of Nineveh was known to be 50 feet thick and 100 feet high. It is heavily fortified enemy city of Israel, and will he even be allowed to get in? Let's say you show up and like, welcome, I'm the prophet of the Lord. No, thank you. What did you do to get here? But perhaps more than anything, even if he's allowed in, does he really want to? This city is known as most barbaric and atrocious. Prophet Nahum that we'll study in a little bit down the line talks about the wickedness of Nineveh as a city of blood and full of lies. There were mortal enemies of Israel, and for Prophet Jonah who lived in the northern kingdom, Assyria was a consistent threat to their safety, someone who were ready to harm them. Now he's called to go to them and give them a warning. And who wants to speak against someone? We live in a culture where we don't want to say not nice things to other person. I, I took this business class, and they say in America, this is what we do. We sandwich bad thing with good thing. And you probably experienced that at your job reviews, right? And these are good things that you do, but uh, this is something that we want you to work on, right? We often do this, but imagine going to an enemy nation and to say, you're wrong to their face. Not only so, these prophets are often mistreated at home by their own Israelites who did not listen to them. Now God is telling Jonah to go to the enemy nation and speak out against it. It's almost like a death sentence. It's basically telling Jonah, go and die. That's what his message sounded like. But what we come to find out, more than all that, more than all those valid reasons that you and I may think is right for Jonah not to want to go, you know the biggest reason why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh? is actually his own personal hatred for Ninevites, his own distaste for them. Because this is what we find out in chapter 4 later. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, this is what Jonah complains. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran to away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah's main reason of not wanting to go to, Tar uh, to Nineveh is because he knew God would be merciful to him. He knew God's character. As a prophet, he knew very well who this God was. His disobedience stems from his hatred for the people, how unthinkable for Jonah was, especially as Jonah was preaching to Israel at this time. But they were not listening. We get a glimpse of Jonah's ministry in 2 Kings verse 4, chapter 14, verse 24. 2 Kings chapter 14, 24 says, He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Talking about the king at the time. He refused uh, to turn from his sins that Jeroboam, son of Nevet, has led Israel to commit. Verse 25, Jeroboam second recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo Hamath and Desi, just as the Lord God of Israel has promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet of Gath Hefer. You see, Jonah was ministering to God's people in the northern kingdom at this time, and they were not listening to Jonah's uh, prophecy. And in fact, they were following this king's way who committed evil in the eyes of the Lord. His own people were headed towards destruction and apostasy. Now God is telling them to go to the enemies, his people, who are about to face the destruction 
to go and speak mercy to them. And he knows if they listen, God will show mercy to them. Therefore, what we get from this chapter is he goes down the wrong path. And we get this visual picture, do we not? He went down to the port of Joppa, as this scripture says, away from the Lord's call. And this is exactly what we all tend to do when we begin our path towards disobedience. We easily rationalize and we reason ourselves away from God's call. We justify our sin and action and saying, well, I am not feeling it today. I am tired today. I had a long day and I need a break. My body is aching. That person does not deserve my time because he disregards my multiple attempts to reach out. We tend to run away from God and God's people towards our own self-place of self-sufficiency and self-rationalization. And once you dwell in that place, you will surely run away from God. God's command and God's will often ushers you towards God's people and towards obedience. But our disobedience begins with isolation, self-sufficiency, and self-rationalization. And that's why we see the story continuing on. Down by the Joppa, Jonah goes. And Jonah finds a ship that is headed towards Tarshish. And Jonah has gone down into the inner parts of the ship too. He goes down to Joppa and goes down to inner parts. Further and further down the path of disobedience, this prophet goes. But you and I know the story doesn't end there. It would be tragic if the story ended there. And oftentimes, we would think that someone that's disobedient as he should be just left in that. But our God does not leave his prophet alone. He cannot flee, as our music director reminded us, of the presence of God. And verse 4 says, But the Lord, the Lord, hurls a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the sheep apart. Fearing their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, threw the cargo overboard, lightened the ship. Not only you can flee, but the storm, which is a great pursuit of God for the wayward sinners in this text. As Jonah flees further and further away from God, God sends a terrifying storm so great in strength, the experienced sailors at the time were also afraid. And um, they were afraid of what was happening. As ironic, ironic as it sounds, it is God who sends life-threatening storm to life-save Jonah out of disobedience. Do you guys catch that? God sends life-threatening storm of life so that he'll be able to save Jonah out of disobedience. Church, you must know that our God's love is so great for you and I that sometimes he will send calamity into your life. He will send calamity into your life to turn you towards him. It can be circumstantial. It can be threatening. I'm not saying all that happens in our life is just that. But one factor is absolutely clear, that whatever happens in our life is in God's hand. If God is sovereign, if you and I say God is sovereign, God is in control of all things, then God will pursue after those who are running away from him. God's pursuit of those who are in Christ will never end. He will not let go. He also sends us into the storms to bring us through it. And that's how God works in the life of those who are called according to his name. God does not promise safety and the joys, but God promises his presence and his security in the midst of the chaos of life. 
And for Jonah, not only does God use a storm, but he even uses the captain, the non-believer, to bring about an important message to him. Verse 6, so the captain, an unbeliever, as we say, pagan, dare I say Palestinian, went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray for your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. The contrast, the line of the captain with the God of verse 1. Verse 6, verse 1, God tells Jonah, get up, go and announce against Nineveh. Verse 6, the captain speaks, get up, pray, call out to your God. You see what God is doing here? God is using the, the unbelieving Captain, speak the truth to Jonah again, giving him a second chance. But what is Jonah doing? Jonah is sleeping. As pastor theologian Howard Brown, preaching on this, once said, a sign of our broken palate of God's grace is that in the middle of obvious madness of the world, we are asleep. Not woke, but just plain broke. And that's where we find Jonah. Even the pagan sailors, non-believers, realize this is much bigger than what they're used to. The world is more aware of that than Jonah himself. And how great of a rebuke is that for the church? Oftentimes, how silent and how asleep we are, we're just broke. When the world recognizes what is happening more so than the church that's supposed to be the witness into the whole world. Imagine that. And we see now what Jonah must do. Jonah now is called to do what he was not wanting to do. He's called to preach. He's called to confess. The very thing Jonah was called to do, the very thing that he refused to do, now Jonah is placed in the absolute place that he has to do it. Jonah, who fled not to preach to non-believers, the pagans, others in Nineveh, as he's filled with hatred, as he's a nationalist, as he is a racist, he's a liar, a schemer, prideful servant who's running away from whom he was called to, be and to be meant to be. Now, in the midst of the storm, Jonah has to preach to the non-believers, the pagans, the others, who knows that there may be Assyrians in the midst of the, the sailors, the Ninevites, perhaps, even in the midst of that. Now, here, God brings about a mini Nineveh to Jonah. And what we see is God pushing Jonah to speak the truth to unbelieving pagans at the time. Verse 9, Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heavens who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, what did you do? Why did you do it? They groaned. Jonah the prophet, the embodiment of God's promise. Down and down, Jonah runs away from God. But as he runs down and down and away, what we find is God who chases down and down after his wayward prophet. And that's the second thing we see. Not only does Jonah runs away, down and die from the Lord, but God chases after Jonah in this text. As you know, probably now, one of my gifts in my life is to lose things. I have great ability to forget where I place things in my life. Therefore, Apple knew exactly what I needed and created what's called an AirTag. I got this AirTags, and these are lifesaver, guys. When I lose my key, all I have to do is find my phone, if I can find it. And then I have to find hope and just hope that it is somewhat nearby. One thing is really, really soft. If you ever used it, I use it way too many times to notice. Um, and it tells you exactly where to go. 
and kind of guides you in a direction, tells you exactly how far you are, indicating where you must go to find it. It shows you where it needs to be. Well, in the story of Jonah, we see God's air tag on Jonah, even to the point of death. Even the point of depth of the despair and hatred, God's air tag on Jonah does not run out. The question for us is, when God brings this mini Nineveh to Jonah, do you think Jonah listens to the Lord? You see, scholars actually debate the answer Jonah gives. What we find is, in the midst of the storm, as sailors are wrestling with the storm, Jonah says, throw me overboard and you will have the calm. Well, some scholars believe Jonah is offering himself as a sacrifice, thus beginning his repentance stage. Some scholars actually argue and say, Jonah is still refusing to repent and saying, I'll rather die for my nationalistic zeal for Israel as if saying, I will die for my own belief and face consequences. So be it. So further and further down, even to the death, Jonah goes. And I think based upon the context we see here, it's more apt to think, as we see later on, that he will, in fact, repent in the valley of the fish. And the Hebrew poetry that emphasizes going depth and down and down and down, showing his firm resolution in refusal to disobey the Lord shows that he is actually not repentant here. Rather, he's saying, let me just die for my own belief. Verse 11, when since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked, what should we do to you to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them. They couldn't make it. And watch how these outsiders, the others, the Gentiles, the people whom Jonah hated, the sailors are much more merciful and gracious than the chosen prophet of God. They cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God, oh Lord, they pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and had to throw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once. The sailors that were all struck by the Lord's great power, they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Church, you know the wording in verse 14 is used only three other places in the Old Testament. In both Isaiah 46, Psalm 115, and Psalm 135. And in all those three circumstances when this wording is used, it is used to display God's work in contrast to the pagan idols. So what this verse shows us is through this experience, these pagans, these non-believing sailors, now turn to the Lord Yahweh, Jonah's God, trust him and place their faith in him. And he says they vow to serve him. They offer sacrifices to him. What we find is in Jonah's sacrifice, Jonah's death, now they come to know the true and living God. Isn't that amazing? Remember, this book was written for the Israelites, not to the Ninevites. This was not a book of saving for Assyrians. This book was a book given to Israelites. Here we have the most reluctant runaway prophet who refuses to obey God's command. He is broken in the relations with God, wrapped up in self-righteousness to the point of willing to die for his own ideology. Just like the Israelites, who are so wrapped up in their own righteousness of thinking, I am saved people. I'm a chosen people. Those people out there are not like me. 
No matter what happens, I'm a saved people, wrapped up in their own self-righteousness, point even to the point of willing to die for their own ideology, their own conviction, their own self-worth. But you know what promise we find here? But God still used Jonah. Isn't that crazy? To preach the good news to the sailors. The very people Jonah runs away from, God brings them back in so that he could preach to them. Again, quoting Reverend Howard Brown, he said, God's grace is not lost in, his in our disobedience. God's grace is not, never lost in our disobedience. And this is where our confidence comes from as we study into Jonah. It is not embedded in how well we do things. It's not even embedded in how Jonah now is able to miraculously turn around and go able to preach a great message. And we'll find out in a little bit, his message is really short. And not only so, he's really mad about that still afterwards. Even his repentance, as we see, is not complete. And we will see the questions about where he is headed. But what we find here, brothers and sisters, that if you are in Christ, if you're growing and being transformed by God's grace in every single day, this is God's hope for us. That God's grace for transforming our lives and making more and more like him to be the person that you and I are meant to be, God will still use that for God's glory despite our failure to obey and failure to follow after him. That means even our puddles of failures, our tears, our heartaches form who you are. God is not using you to change the world. God is changing the world. In the process, you get to be transformed in it. God will use donkeys in the book of Numbers. God will use the rock to cry out as we see in the New Testament. God will surely use reluctant Moses who says, don't send me, God. Send somebody else. God will use lying Jacob. God will use broken king like David. God will use mute Zechariah who does not believe right away. God will use overzealous Peter. God will use persecuting Saul, turns him around and makes him into a prophet Paul, apostle Paul, that is. God can surely use broken people for God's glory. And that's the promise the Israelites received as they received this letter of Jonah. Jonah, who represents their life, who's so wrapped up in their nationalistic zeal for their own liking, God says, I still have hope for you. I still have hope for you, and I will surely use you to change the world. In our past leaders meeting, a session meeting that is, we gather to learn together about what it means to lead with brokenness in our lives. We are reading a book titled Leading with the Limp by Dan Allender. In our times, in that book, he talks about how every single person here, regardless whether you have a title or not, are called to lead in some capacity. If anyone is looking to you for any guidance, the book says you're a leader. That means all the parents are here are a leader, anyone that look to you. And it also says if you're loving somebody, then you're leading them towards Christ. The book also talks about struggles of leading. And that's why it's called a leading with the limp. And we actually talked about that. We have all kinds of struggles of what it means to lead. As one of our leaders said, we got a whole lot of issues and then some. We also talked about the glory of Christ Central, the joy and the hope that we have as we lead and serve this church. And some of them, including how we all, many of us, talked about the glory of Christ Central was the glory of what it means to gather together here. 
It's not because we have such a great theological depth. And I could surely tell you, we don't have the greatest preaching in the world. And I could tell you, we got a whole lot of issues and all the more. But the glory that we all shared, and we talked about why we persevere and to learn is when we walk into these doors, despite our brokenness, despite our past, despite our sinful hearts, what we saw was God working through his word in transforming power to use us to change one another. And this is who you are, Christ Central. We're not just a church that just gathers to worship a song, raise our hands, listen to the word of God, feel good about ourselves, and walk out. We're not a church that provides programs upon programs so that hopefully, just hopefully, your child will become a Christian. I hope we're surely not that. We're surely not a nonprofit entity that likes to give money away, the good for the city. Yes, we must do those things, but surely that's not the end goal of the church, right? Christ Central, who you are is an entity, a body of Christ that embraces one another. In our brokenness, in our puddles of tears, we struggle together as a body to grow and God transforms us as he transforms the world. That's the testimony of what it means to be a church. Because our hope is not upon who we are and how we change. But our hope is, is that we have a greater Jonah. One who does not give up his life out of spite, but willingly. One who does not flee from God's command, but one who is willing to die not for the glory of self, but the life of the other, one who goes down to the depths of the ocean, one who is not disobedient but sinless, but willing to take the place of sinful ones like you and I, Jesus, the Son of God. That's the main reason why we gather. And when he takes the plunge of death on the cross, the wrath of God is once and for all satisfied. The sea is calm, and now you and I enjoy good pleasures of God, and we can worship him and make vows just like the sailors saying, I will worship you because of the grace I find on the cross. He is the loudest cry for God's love, relentless pursuit of you. Salvation indeed belongs to God and God alone. And now God is sending you and I by that grace into the broken world with the message of the gospel. Wrapped in grace and mercy, it is our testimonies. It is our job to witness what God has done in our lives into jobs that demand much and challenge us. To go into marriages that are hard, parenting that's difficult, family situation for teenagers that are sitting here that may be challenging even for you. Schools and studies that is unsettling, unending at times. God is now calling you and I to step into that. Not by what you are able to do, but by grace of God that presently resides in your heart. Not only will he use you with your flaws, struggles, triumphs, and joys, God will transform you in the process. And that's the hope we hold on to, the gospel according to Jonah. Let's pray. Let's pray, shall we? We'll get into Jonah's story more and see how God uses him. But let's pray and pray for that hope that we have in the Lord despite our failures. We haven't gotten to Jonah's repentance yet, guys. But God will use even brokenness to minister to sailors. Let's pray for that as we come to the Lord's table. Father, we pray for that grace that despite our brokenness, our failures, and we have a lot of them, that you will never give up on your, your people. That despite our struggles to obey, struggles to love, struggles to follow your will, 
we pray that, Lord, you transform us in the places of deserts that we're in. Father, we know that your work is not done yet. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.